In this episode of KFP3, we're going to expand out the electrolyte disturbances a bit more. Um, so reasons to test for electrolytes would include having symptoms suggestive of electrolyte abnormalities or having any abnormalities in bowel, kidney, respiratory or liver function or having disturbances in circulation, cardiac rhythm, hydration or conscious state, urine output or neuromuscular, pretty much everything. Things that can change the extracellular concentration of solute include hydration, acid-base changes, and fluid shifts in and out of cells. So questions to consider in any electrolyte abnormality are, does it fit in the clinical context? What's your hydration and volemic status? Is it, do you think it's acute or chronic? Is it likely to be transient? Is it caused by a drug? Is there any associated acid-base abnormality? Organ failure likely to be responsible or doesn't need to be considered in treatment modification and what's the best way to monitor response. So hyponatremia, we're pretty much just going to talk about hyponatremia and hyperkalemia. Hyponatremia, the normal range of sodium is 135 to 145. Symptoms are, it can be asymptomatic when it's chronic. Um, acutely, it can present with mental confusion, gait disturbance, impaired consciousness, and seizures, all of which increase with severity of your hyponatremia. And noting that chronic hyponatremia is far better tolerated than acute. The effect of hydration on hyponatremia is that most hyponatremia is from excess water rather than sodium depletion, uh, most likely be due to impaired excretion of water rather than too much input. Causes of impaired water excretion include pain, nausea, inadequate plasma volume, low cardiac output, kidney impairment, inadequate glucocorticoid function, thyroid function. You need to always consider these before declaring someone having SIADH. To evaluate hydration status, you want to look at weight change, postural blood pressures, whether there's any edema, JBP elevation, Pulse rate, skin turga, and mucous membrane moisture. So that's how to elevate, evaluate hydration status. Drugs that commonly cause hyponatremia include diuretics, SSRIs, SNRIs, and carbamazepine. For the diuretics, especially in dapamide and hydrochlorothiazide. SSRIs such as sertraline and proxetine, and SNRIs such as venlafaxine, and not forgetting carbamazepine. They're the drugs that commonly cause hyponatremia. The common classifications of causes of hyponatremia are broken down into volume status, so hyper-U or hypovolemia, and they're completely different causes depending on the associated volume status. The causes of hyper-hyponatremia are end-organ damage such as heart failure, liver cirrhosis, kidney failure, and nephritic syndrome. Causes of euvolemic hyponatremia are things like SIADH, hypothyroidism, psychogenic polydipsia, pain, nausea, secondary adrenal insufficiency, so they're more endocrine causes. And the causes of SIADH, breaking that out, are drug-induced from carbamazepine, cerebral pulmonary pathology, and malignancy. The hypovolemic causes of hyponatremia include Sodium loss with free water intake, i.e. vomiting or diarrhea. Burns, thiazides, particularly in dapamide and hydrochlorothiazide. 
uh, hypopituitarism and primary adrenal insufficiency. So hypovolemic, it's mainly you're losing fluid that's taking the soul with it, uh, either bombing it up, pooing it out, losing it in your skin, or weighing it out with thiazides. The causes of pseudo-hyponatremia are as if, if you have a severe hypertriglyceridemia. Uh, it's because of the test method. And you can have osmotic dilution causes of hyponatremia with if you have hyperglycemia or if you used mannitol. And HIV can cause hyponatremia by uncertain mechanisms. So expanding more on SIADH, it's basically caused by many things, but it's a pathology that impairs water secretion. The diagnostic criteria of SIADH are serum sodium less than 130, serum osmolality less than 275, urine osmolality higher than 100, urine sodium higher than 30, and ADHSA is usually not required to diagnose it. Other abnormalities in SIADH are that urea will be low, uric acid will be low, and potassium will be low. And just remembering the pathology is that you've got excessive release of ADH from your posterior pituitary or another source. This results in a dilutional hyponatremia as you're retaining too much water. Total bloody fluid is increased. originally described in people with small cell carcinoma, but it can be caused by a number of underlying conditions. So the overall management of hyper... where am I? Hypovolemic hyponatremia. Uh, to stop the offending agent, i.e. the drugs, give IV sodium 0.9% and IV potassium. For hypervolemic uh, you want to do fluid restriction and maybe add in a loop diuretic if they're edematous. For euvolemic hyponatremia, it's more complex. Uh, remember that's called being caused more by the um, endocrine abnormalities. So it's based on the presence of any CNS symptoms. Um, and you probably need to do IV admission, where they would consider IV sodium chloride 3%. So the management of mild to moderate hyponatremia in euvolemic or hypervolemic patients would be fluid restriction of 0.5 to 1 litre for 24 hours or doing 500 mils less than the daily urine output, monitoring your UECs daily or twice daily. For severe hyponatremia, you want, which is sodium less than 120, uh, you want to give IV sodium chloride 3% with an initial target not higher than 120. Noting that the problems of increase of rapid hyponatremia is permanent CNS injury due to osmotic demyelination. The factors that would increase the risk of this would be having concomitant hypokalemia, alcoholism, malnutrition, or advanced liver disease. Uh, and the management of long-term SIADH is chronic fluid restriction less than one litre daily. So moving on lastly to hyperkalemia, um, noting your normal potassium range is 3.8 to 4.9. Um, the obvious first step in this is to exclude a pseudo-hyperkalemia, which will arise from hemolysis of your sample, releasing intracellular potassium, 
uh, which either results from hemolysis or delay in transferring the serum samples. The most common causes of true hyperkalemia are chronic kidney disease and second depleted fluid volume. The categories are pseudo hypokalemia, kidney failure, fluid volume depletion, like we've talked about. Then you can have hyperaldosteronism, drug induced increased potassium release, and say you've got hemolysis and other. The causes of drug-induced hyperkalemia are things like NSAIDs, potassium-sparing diuretics, potassium supplements, trimethoprim, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and cyclosporin. The causes of hyperkalemia and kidney failure are reduced excretion of potassium, and same in fluid depletion. Um, the causes of hyperkalemia from hyper aldosteronism uh, is if you have a hyperrenanemia from diabetes, kidney disease, or a primary adrenal insufficiency, adrenal enzyme defects, heparin, HIV, or resistance to aldosterone. It's the causes of pseudo-hyperkalemia, like we talked about before, so hemolysis, lengthy blood handling, also thrombocytosis and extreme leukocytosis. If you had a patient with hyperkalemia, the investigations you'd want to do would be ECG, acid-base balance, and UECs. The consequences of it are sudden cardiac arrest if your potassium is over 7, and the signs on ECG are peaked T-waves and a broadened QRS complex if arrest is imminent. Treatment of acute hyperkalemia includes IV calcium gluconate, 10% in 10 mils IV over 2-3 to three minutes, which may need repeating after 30 minutes. Uh, you want to correct the volume depletion, gives IV sodium bicarb, uh, 50 mils IV over 10 minutes, repeated in one to two hours. And you want to do that all under ECG monitoring. Then to promote intracellular uptake of potassium, you can give 10 units IV act rapid, plus glucose 50%, 50 mils. And this should work to decrease the potassium by 0.5 to 1.5 over 30 minutes. Extreme ends include dialysis, um, and at the end of it you can do a medication review.